Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is Kay Heimowitz. Kay is the William E. Simon Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She's a longtime contributing editor at City Journal. You can follow her on Twitter, at Kay Heimowitz. And her latest story for City Journal, which appeared in our spring 2020 issue, is called The Human Network with the subtitle, Our Social Nature Makes Nearly Everything from Behavior to Viruses Contagious. It's a very timely story. And if I might add, and I think Kay would agree, this social contagion also extends to the kind of protests and rioting and looting that we've seen all over the country over the last two weeks. Uh, We'll be sure to get her to talk about those events a little later in the interview. Kay, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Your essay is a very uh, rich and comprehensive look at what you might call human social networks, families, neighborhoods, schools, uh, friends, friends of friends, workplaces. What isn't widely understood, as, as you point out, is how these networks affect the behavior of human beings. For example, while the parents of teenagers struggle to help you know, their kids navigate peer pressure, Adults aren't free from such kind of peer pressure or social contagion, as you call it, themselves. So this, you know, phenomenon, as you open your essay, is is quite evident when it comes to divorce. Uh, So how does network behavior influence divorce? And maybe you could just describe a little bit more about what you mean by uh, and what researchers mean by network behavior. Well, I think the best way to start is to think about uh, the way microbes go viral, that is, they get spread. And something similar can happen with social phenomenon as well. Uh, Social phenomenon, everything from emotions. Now, think of if you go to, uh, let's say, a a Rolling Stones concert, and I'm dating myself here. (laughs) Uh, Think of the euphoria and thrill, uh, the yelling and the singing and and the dancing. Um, that is contagious. I mean, you do it, uh, people who will like to go to those concerts exactly because it is so euphoric to be in a crowd that is sharing that same experience together. Um, but it, and uh, many emotions are contagious. You uh, uh, think of laughing. Uh, if you go to a comedy club, um, you'll often find that comics will laugh at their own jokes because they know that com- uh, that laughter is can, can be contagious. Uh, crying, uh, if a friend is crying, or or uh, somebody, or or just somebody you see on TV that moves you, that or yawning, be, or yawning, absolutely, yeah. And anger, I think, can be contagious too. And maybe we can get back to that a little bit later. Um, And it's also obvious, I think, to anybody, um, even those who have not studied social networks, that fads spread. You know, something like the keto diet, I still don't quite entirely understand what it is, but I know it spread from nothing several years ago to being very, very popular. Um, So even, you know, what what I tried to show in the piece is that even a lot of behaviors that seem highly personal and deliberative actually turn out to have a social dimension. 
Uh, you mentioned divorce, and I start the piece with this story of divorce because, precisely because it does seem so personal. Uh, people uh, spend the nights tossing and turning, talking to friends uh, about their decision, uh, going to uh, priests or rabbis or ministers to discuss what to do. It seems like a wrenching personal decision. But what uh, social network researchers have found is that it actually spreads divorce. Um, if you, they, they, what they did was they looked at a huge data set from something called the Framingham Heart Study uh, and looked at people over time. And they were able to see that uh, people who divorced uh, had this effect on other people, that if your friends divorce, you were 75% more likely to divorce yourself. I mean, that's, that's, a, big, that's a big number. Uh, if friends of friends divorced, it was about 33%. Uh, beyond that, there didn't seem to be that much of an effect. But the point is that this is a social phenomenon you never would have thought of as something that you would imitate or uh, learn from somebody else. You would, you would make the decision on your own. It seems that what happens is that uh, people's perceptions of what's normal behavior or acceptable behavior begins to change according to their social networks. Uh, and um, that is certainly something that happened with divorce by the 1970s uh, and has continued uh, since then. Well, you, you talk about, in this context, uh, uh, teen suicides, which is an even more disturbing example yeah. of this kind of social networking effect. Uh, perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on the story you tell uh, yeah. in your piece about that. Right. Well, one of the things that I think is, is interesting about this uh, social network theory, which can get rather technical, is that all parents know about social networking. When we're worrying about who the, our kids' friends are, who their peers are, when we talk about peer influence um, or peer effects or bad influences, we're talking about social networks. Um, and uh, social networks, <laughs> particularly for adolescents, can be an amazingly strong force. And I'll give you the uh, really alarming story you alluded to first, but there are some better stories, some more positive stories. Uh, there was a, a community in uh, the Midwest some years ago had a cluster, what, what the uh, network scientists call cluster, of suicides among high school students. And, um, you know, people, social scientists had sort of suspected that suicide occurred in clusters, but they didn't really have a theory for it. So these researchers went into the community, and what they found was that um, the uh, kids there were had, after there were a, a, few, a few suicides, the kids in the community more broadly were came up with the idea that what was causing it was uh, academic pressure. And that became the sort of narrative for understanding uh, uh, teen suicide. And they in, in the sense of pressure for good grades, you mean? For good grades, yes. This was a yeah. wealthy community, and uh, you know, with a lot of aspirational kids and families, 
Uh, and um, that meme, that idea that uh, academic pressure could make you consider or actually commit suicide, sort of became part of a narrative that got passed on to kids. And this went on for some years in this community. Um, that instead of the meaning making, in this case, that it was academic pressure uh, helping to solve the problem, it actually reinforced the problem by telling kids this was normal, quote unquote. I don't mean to say that you know everybody wanted you to do it, but simply that this is something that that could happen to you too. In in the sense that it created a kind of narrative which gave people. A justification for acting in this way? Well, I think more than that. Let's say you you did feel upset about your grades. Uh, you could then uh, magnify your feelings uh, by thinking about your friend. And by the way, you know it was often popular kids who, or what there were several popular kids who did this, and those popular kids have more impact on the social network than the, than most of us regular folks. And um, they, you could, you then might experience uh, not just that you're upset about your grade, but that this is really a tragedy uh, and something that would be worth considering um, suicide for. You, you've uh, talked here about divorce and teen suicide, very troubling aspects of this this kind of social contagion. Uh, but the more we discover about social network effects, the more, I guess, it raises the possibility that they could be manipulated or, or uh, encouraged to move in a more positive direction. That can happen too, right? Absolutely. Uh, social networks are actually, I'm making it sound with those examples like it's just a negative thing, but it's not. It's an essential part of our social nature. Uh, and we uh, develop these networks. It not only creates social cohesion, um, but it, it uh, adopts norms which you adopt, which you can adapt to. Some of those norms, I, in fact, I would say most of them are pro-social. So, for instance, going back to the uh, high schoolers again, uh, if you uh, if you are in the right social network. Uh, if your kid is in the right social network, they can their desire for higher grades, which maybe you have communicated to them, will could be reinforced rather than uh, 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 destroyed by by bad influences. So you know, one reason I think so many parents spend so much time and energy and money on ensuring that their kids live in these in these in a, in a wealthy neighborhood uh, or at least a, a, a relatively affluent neighborhood is not just because they're snobs and not because they're racist, but because they know that they need their kids to be around kids who are going to reinforce the goals and values that they have. Uh, and uh, they feel that there that is more likely to happen uh, in a wealthier uh, and neighborhood with with strong schools. You've um, you wrote your story really against the backdrop of the beginning of the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic in the United States. Uh, certainly, what you're describing 
in this article applies to regular old viral transmission, right? Right. One of the things I've found fascinating about the uh, epidemic is that people very quickly began to understand the impact that their behavior had on other people. So if they uh, went outside without uh, a mask or didn't wash their hands uh, after being outside or if they uh, uh, didn't cover their cough or something like that, uh, they could actually really harm other people. Uh, and um, it's much harder to understand, I think, how social behaviors might harm, transmit and harm other people. But uh, that is the case as well. So in the, with the COVID, uh, people began to see, well, if I do this, uh, if I go out with my friends, um, I could actually harm my parents, you know, when I come home uh, by getting by getting the disease. So sure. uh, it's a very powerful illustration of just how tied together we are as social creatures. We've had the pandemic, and now we've had this uh, this period of um, very troubling urban unrest. Um, and it certainly seems that there's been a, a kind of uh, social contagion at work here too, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, I think, um, the, as I mentioned before, emotions are contagious, uh, and um, emotions ran very, very high after the uh, murder of George Floyd, and uh, that anger gets reinforced. You know, you feel it. The people around you feel it. You come together in big demonstrations, which are um, characterized by social contagion. Now, it doesn't have to be anger. It can be very controlled. Uh, uh, it's a sense of injustice. But uh, you can also see how it could easily degenerate uh, into angry and even violent behavior. Um, and uh, I think that the looting uh, and some of the more violent behavior by uh, some of the protesters uh, can really be seen as uh, a loosening of certain kinds of norms that you generally experience in life. Uh, it seemed like, well, other people are, you know, going into that sneaker store and, stake, and taking all those sneakers and you don't have the police around to stop you. So you go in too. Uh, same thing with throwing rocks at the police. It may be that you are a kid who never would have thought of doing such a thing on your own, uh, but you see other people around you doing it, and it makes it seem, the more you see, the more normal right? I, it, it begins to seem. And so that, I think, is how the contagion um, right. It, it can create mobs very easily. Right, right. It's one reason you want to keep emotions very under control uh, when there are crowds. How big a role do you think the media transformations of recent years, especially the emergence of, uh, of ubiquitous social media, have played in encouraging kind of contagious uh, behavior in this sense? Oh, remarkably. Uh, in ways that uh, you know really uh, have been, I think, mostly destructive. Not only, but but mostly destructive. 
I mean, you know, when, when teenagers, adolescents now, I talked a little bit about how susceptible they are to peer influence. What do they see when they go on their friends' social media websites, uh, uh, sites? They're not seeing their, their friends uh, studying or, you know, doing something constructive. <laughs> They'll see their friends partying. Uh, you wouldn't take a picture of yourself reading a book. Uh, but you would take a picture of yourself with a cigarette in your hand and uh, a beer, a, a bottle of beer in, your, in the other hand. And uh, that uh, can have the effect, especially if it's a popular person posting those pictures, of, uh, again, changing norms, uh, uh, affecting the way kids think of themselves. We've all talked about this fear of missing out, FOMO, uh, that mm -hmm. happens with uh, social media. It's, it's uh, similar to that. You see everybody behaving a certain way, uh, have, going to certain parties, and you're not part of that social network, and that is a painful thing and can change your behavior uh, in order to fit in with the crowd. It's fascinating material and incredibly relevant to what we're experiencing in 2020. Thanks very much, Kay. Don't forget to check out Kay Heimowitz's latest essay for City Journal. It's called The Human Network. You can find it on our website, and we'll also link to it, as we always do with these discussions, uh, in the show description. Kay is on Twitter, at Kay Heimowitz. You can follow City Journal on Twitter as well, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much, Kay, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.